You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mystery-minded, muffin-munching misters and misses, you're listening to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 109, and of course, I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your pedantic posse of podcasters who pronounce puzzles through pop filters. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. So this was just in the news uh, over the last week or so. Have you guys read about the yet-to-explode whale yeah! in Newfoundland? Why are you cheering it? Well, because uh, well, you know, like, our Facebook page yeah. is like, all buzzing. Buzzing <laughs> oh. with yeah. exploding whale news. The whole exploding whale community. Is exploding. Yeah, yeah. Is exploding. <laughs> uh, I guess it's not that long a story made short, but there was a, a whale, a beached whale. A uh, blue whale. A, a blue whale, right, which I guess is not that common uh, that has beached, and it's swelling and swelling and swelling as as discussed on these very podcast waves before yeah. Uh, yeah. and they're kind of just waiting for it to explode very patiently politely waiting for this whale mm-hmm. to explode it's like being in a gallagher show with your little poncho and the garbage bag <laughs> in front of you so i have some updates oh. as of this morning i read somehow the whale has started to lose air ah. and it's deflating better patch that okay. whale up it's probably not that's going probably to the best oh. that's the best taste scenario yeah, yes. naturally, yeah, okay. it's yes. leaking air. Right. Kind of looks like a deflated balloon, oh, actually. No. Anyway, so exploding well, probably not going to explode. I guess good news for New everybody. Family. Bad yeah. news for the internet. Bad news for the internet. <laughs> everybody was waiting with bated breath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into our first general trivia segment. Pop quiz, hot shot. Sorry, my voice is a little shot because I have a tonsillitis. Show must go on. Soldiering on, as yeah, always. Man. All right, I have a random Trivial Pursuit card from the box, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers. Here we go. Blue Edge for geography. Which city is at a latitude most similar to Tokyo? Hmm. Multiple choice. Mm -hmm. Denver, Houston, Memphis, or Seattle? Hmm. Oh, interesting. Chris. I want to say Houston. If that's if that's wrong, there's only one it could really be. Oh yeah, yeah. What is it then? Well, then it must be it's Memphis. 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 Correct. Yeah, it is Memphis because Denver yeah. and Seattle are really far north. Yeah, but Tokyo is in the southern sort of part of Japan. Good job. All right, Pink Wedge, Brangelina, and Tomcat <laughs> are tabloid shorthand for what celebrity couples? Dana. It's Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, yes, Tom Cruise, and uh, Katie Holmes. Not anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but that's uh, what the when the card what, was, was written. <laughs> when the card was written, uh, Yellow Wedge. What was Bill Clinton's presidential campaign theme song? Oh, uh, uh, it was uh, Colin. Uh, don't stop believing, uh, right? Sorry, what what is what is your final answer? Uh, don't stop uh, by Fleetwood Mac. Yes, yeah. not okay. don't stop believing. Yeah, don't by stop Journey. thinking about Different, tomorrow. So, yes, yes, exactly. That's yep. right. Mm-hmm. And they famously actually reunited to play that for him at his uh, inauguration. I think. Aren't yeah. they? They are. They reuniting? are finally since it, it, 1997. <laughs> Mr. Fleetwood Mac. Mr. Fleetwood Mac. Let me tell you, people. <laughs> um, yes. So the not the original original Fleetwood Mac lineup, but the Your one that was the most. Like I'm so excited. <laughs> no, you have no idea. Because so the the lineup which was Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Christine McVie, John McVie, McFleetwood, the rumors lineup, they reunited in ninety 
seven for the the dance the live album and then christine mcvee was like i'm done with all this i want to go to london forever and never get on an airplane again she was like afraid of flying she was just like i've been touring my whole life i'm done Mm. and she was done until now they were able to get her out of retirement for what is probably one last tour with the rumors lineup which is starting this year i am pumped (laughs) i have tickets for the San Jose, California show, I have tickets for the Oakland, California show a week later. I'm surprised I'm you're not flying this. to other cities. Um, eh, two is probably enough. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we'll have just had our baby. So I kind of had to ask, you know, Regina, just like, it's okay if I do this, right? She's like, a big deal. I know yeah. this is very important. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the Fleetwood back update. Purple Wedge, Leopold Bloom is the hero of what James Joyce novel? Uh, Colin. That is uh, Ulysses. Yes. That is the only James Joyce novel I know. <laughs> yeah. oh, Are there other oh, ones? Yeah. Finnegan's oh. Wake. Oh, okay. Portrait um, of the Artist as a Young Man. Right, right. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Cool. cool. Good Dumb job, Dumb is more of a collection of short stories. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hmm. I got served. We know trivia. All right. Uh, Green Wedge Forest Science. What is the only number whose value is equal to the number of letters in its name? <laughs> uh, we've, I think I feel like you told us this before. Um, we had this uh, at Pup Trivia. Oh. Chris. Four. four. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Four. We you know, the thing is, if, even if you don't know the answer to that immediately, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't take you very long uh, to okay, find the one, answer. One, no. no. Two, no. no. Three, Oh, guys, no. I got it. Four, no. <laughs> five. Wait, wait. Four. Let's go it back and take a second <laughs> look at four. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question, Orange Wedge. Who set the record in 2001 for lowest single round tally by any female golfer in the LPGA <laughs> Tour play? All right. What? Uh, <laughs> what you're a lot of words. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. With the lowest single round tally by any female golfer in LPGA right. Tour. So and you want a low and tally. importantly, what year is all it? In, yeah, all 2001. All you need to know is the year. Okay. Because, I mean, I can kind of... There are only so many household name famous LPGA yeah. players. Uh-huh. So, in 2001, I'm going to guess Annika Sorenstam. Oh, my God! Wow! <laughs> yeah, He watches golf. <laughs> giving him the golf clap. He does watch golf. I don't really watch she, golf. Yes, she, she shot a 59. That's a good number. Okay, wow. cool. Wait, I thought it said lowest single rep. Yeah, yeah. lower is better. Oh, lower yeah, is yeah. better. <laughs> I got like, served mm. again. Yeah. <laughs> golf, golf is the one where you try and get the ball into the cup. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Putt putt. It's, oh. yeah. it's big putt putt. What's the one when the ball's on a string and you try to get it into the cup? <laughs> 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 like, like, string cup ball. Yes. Yeah. 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 You want a low number for that one, too. <laughs> you yes, really right? do. Yeah. Yep. Yes. All right, and we have a Loeb Trotter fact. Uh, Loeb Trotters are fan club members, and this one is from Holly Ellis, who drew an awesome picture. Her little trivia tidbit is, Nikola Tesla was a germaphobe. Things he found particularly repugnant include pearls, mm-hmm. earrings, and hair. Uh. <laughs> Love Holly. I love pizza and I love good job brain. Awesome. Oh, thanks. Like, what is picture. going on? She drew a picture of a slice of pizza with a mustache. <laughs> wow. It's really oh, it's so cute. I'll take, I'll take being second to pizza. Yeah, yeah. I have yep. no problem being second to pizza. I love pizza and I love good job brain. <laughs> well, thank you, Holly. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. Pearls, earrings, and, and hair. hair. Okay. These are all very lady-centric yeah. things. Oh. He's a germaphobe or a ladyphobe? Wasn't Nikola Tesla... <laughs> he was celibate. Yeah. Yes. yes. He was eccentric. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so this week, it's very special. Uh, it was inspired by one of Chris's recent <laughs> jaunts. One of my real-life adventures. Yes, and uh, we all kind of latched on, and we have, we've prepared a very interesting show about mystery and puzzles. But really, today, we're going to talk about hidden treasure. Buried and treasure. treasure and hunts and treasure hunts and stuff like that. Right, stuff people have dug up out of the ground. Yeah. So, um, yes, and I will get to this later, but uh, as you, you may have known if you were following me on Twitter, I attended the excavation of thousands and thousands of Atari video games that were actually buried out in the New Mexico desert in 1983. There's a lot of urban myths and legends that have sort of uh, sprung up around this, and so uh, I will talk about later the the reality versus versus the myth. All right. Wow. Well, enjoy uh, this week. We're talking about buried treasure. I saved a lot of money. My fortune was untold, and like a fool, I idolized my silver and my gold. My earthly treasures mounted, but when I counted through, I realized a treasure I had overlooked was you. Well, I was thinking about buried treasure uh, all week. Uh, I was actually really looking forward to this show. And I got to think about time capsules, the concept of a time capsule, whatever form it takes of putting items or things in the ground to be dug up later uh, for future generations. I remember in, in, in junior high, uh, my school decided to bury a time capsule. Mm-hmm. So this was, uh, this was in 1988. And oh, I remember. So it wasn't even like a, like a like yeah a round number year. That's what I don't remember exactly what sparked. Are they going to yeah. dig it up around now? Do you think? Or? Well, I I was trying to remember. I think it was a fifty year. Oh, time. Okay. All right. you know, you know, it may have been like maybe in honor of like the fiftieth anniversary of my junior high or something. Who knows? Well, yeah. Lost lost to history. But I remember that they they pulled all the students. Like, what do you want to put in this time capsule? Yeah. Like, what yeah. what represents life as a you know thirteen or fourteen year old in nineteen eighty eight? I don't remember any else that went in there but i remember there was a, a pretty heated debate among two factions of whether a cd by new kids on the block or a cd by guns and roses would oh, better yeah. capture the spirit of the time oh, this seems God. to me to be a gender argument masquerading <laughs> as a factional war um without a comment on the gender wars of 1988 <laughs> or 89 uh i think they ended up putting both cds in there oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. all right okay, okay. <laughs> that yeah. big they yeah. can just put both yeah. you really can so the concept of time capsule is pretty old it's hard to say exactly when the first one was the, the term itself, I discovered, is is fairly new. Like many, many other things we've talked about on the show, the term time capsule dates to a World's Fair. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Specifically, the 1939 World's mm-hmm. Fair in New York City. In the run-up to the World's Fair, uh, the Westinghouse Corporation, they tasked one of their PR execs, basically, we need you to come up with some sort of splashy event that can tie in. Oh. Uh, as a gentleman named George Pendray. And he settled on the idea of doing a time capsule and making a big deal out of it. It's, you know, all the world was watching. And so sort of the the initial ideas that they came up with, it was a, a metal container. It kind of looked like a rocket. And mm-hmm. it looks like a, a bullet. He wanted to call it a time bomb 
originally. <laughs> um, they they later settled on time capsule, which oh, I capsule. think is yeah, capsule is a lot better. Uh, it was ninety inches long. Whoa. It was uh, nine inches in diameter, and this thing was really built to last. So it was like two tubes. There was an inner airtight glass tube that was contained, as I say, in like a larger kind of bullet or torpedo shaped metal container. This time capsule, I'll tip it off. The time capsule has not been opened yet, so it went in the ground okay. in 1939. Do you guys know how long it's going to be in the ground if all goes according to plan? A uh, hundred years. <clears throat> Five thousand years <laughs> that is their dig grand it up. dig plan. it up now yes we'll all be uh, dead wait, where is it Do so so this was in it's in flushing meadows uh okay. in new york at the site of at the world's mm-hmm. fair um and in fact the westinghouse corporation made a second time capsule uh for the 1964 world's fair also in new york city okay. so they're buried pretty close together they're about 50 feet underground there's like a giant granite marker above ground sort mm-hmm. of saying you know here be here be time capsules and no one has tried to dig it up. No one's tried to dig it up. Uh, yeah, although it could be a plot for a movie, I suppose. Yeah, yeah no one's yeah. tried to dig it up. They've all agreed we're going to leave it in here until some well after the year 6900. Yes, 5,000 years. <laughs> both of these. So what's in these containers? You might be wondering. Ticket um, stubs, it's, popcorn. Yeah, you know, know, it's a lot of random fair They tried to choose things that they thought would have some chance of lasting 5,000 years. So oh, okay. there, there is not, in fact, popcorn. They, they have seeds. They have some agricultural stuff in there. They have a wide variety of seeds Mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, as I say, kept in airtight containers. But it's got, you know, just stuff from life in the 1930s. There's a pack of Camel cigarettes. There's a copy of Life magazine. Uh, They have a newsreel and lots of... Where are they going to play it with? That's a good question. I want you to come back to that. Okay. Uh, A newsreel and a lot of printed material that they reduce down to microfilm Mm -hmm. size, basically. Mm -hmm. So, like, almanacs, dictionaries. You you hit on a really good question, Karen, is how do you you future-proof these things, you know? So... Uh, one of the things they did is they published a guidebook, an official guidebook to saying, here's what we did. Here's everything that we put inside. And they printed thousands of copies. And, you know, the hope is that somewhere 5,000 years from now, a copy of this guidebook might still exist and people mm-hmm. will be interested enough to come dig it up. How do we determine the exact date? So they chose a date. But say we don't even have our modern calendar system 5,000 yeah. years from now. Yeah. So they figured out how to use astronomical references. Whoa. So in the future, based on the position of stars in the sky or schedules of eclipses, they can figure out, okay, now's the time that we're supposed to be opening this thing. Even the location, you know, it's buried underground and they took exact measurements of the latitude and longitude. But over 5,000 years, things could move around. Yeah. So they described, you know, a process of how, how you future people can find these capsules, even if it's moved. And hmm. it's basically a giant metal detector. How to view the media. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They included, I love this. It seems so simple. Um, so along with the microfilm and the newsreels, they included instructions on how to build a newsreel projector. Wow. They included instructions yeah. on how to build a microfilm reader. You know, what really sort of seems to inspired this whole surge of interest in time capsules was opening up the Egyptian pyramids and the tombs oh, in I the see. 1920s. And a lot of people were really just amazed like at how much at how well preserved some of the things were so you guys were kind enough to indulge me uh in this exercise i asked uh, each of you to tell me if we had to create a time capsule representing life in 2014 for future generations what would we put in there what one item so i'll go first okay. uh, i thought uh we'd put in uh, a pair of google glasses or google glass oh that's good i thought that might be a yeah. good thing that's you know good. put in a google glass dana you were sort of in the same vein dana, i said like so, an iphone yeah 
yeah, you yeah. said like a, an iPhone or oh, smartphone. Because, because everybody uses them all the time. They That's really true. are part of our... Preloaded life. with some apps, yeah. Karen suggested a broken doorknob from a hotel at the Sochi Winter Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's Because I was thinking of yeah. like... What big events happened in 2014 so far where the world came together? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we have the World Cups coming soon, but the Sochi Olympics or the Winter Olympics just happened. That was a disaster. <laughs> so it wouldn't be funny. If it's part of had, our like, record. Yeah. Would you put context with it? Of course. Like, this is how. This is why I yes. put a broken doorknob. <laughs> I think it would be even funnier without context, especially when they get to Chris's suggestion, which was to represent life in 2014 North America. Oh, God. A bobblehead of Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. Wow, that's good. <laughs> about It's about culture and about our 2014's like desire of adults to um, surround themselves with plastic models toys. of toys. And, yeah, it, it, hits yeah. A, it hits a bunch of things at once. And well. in the same vein, I actually have a quiz for you guys about hidden treasure in movies. Oh. A lot of treasure hunting, a lot of heist movies. And what okay. I will do in uh, this quiz is I'm going to name the item that is coveted or Ooh. buried or, you know, they're on a quest to find. And you tell me what movie it is from. Okay. All right. Everybody get the great Muppet caper. A pad of paper. Oh, it's one of those kind of quizzes. So I will be naming the item that is being searched for Ah. and tell me the movie. All right. First one, Curly's Gold. Oh. Please be exact in uh, your movie titles. All right, locked in, locked in. Answers up. Chris says City Slickers 2. Dana says City Slickers 2, <laughs> The Hunt for Curly's Gold. And what did you... City Slickers 2, T-L-O-C-G. The Legend yeah. of Curly's Gold. You guys are all correct. It okay. is the legend. You just find City Slickers 2. Is, City Slickers yeah. 2, yeah. That's and a, not just City that's Slickers. That's your specificity, yeah. Got it. All right, next one. Fabergé Imperial Coronation Egg. <laughs> Uh, oh. Fabergé Imperial Coronation Egg. Answers up. Okay. Chris says Anastasia. Dana says The Great Muppet Caper. And Colin says Ocean's 12. Colin is correct. Oh, yeah. Good job. Wow. I was like 12 or 13, 12 or 13. Well, 13 was Vegas. Oh, oh right, 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 right. Of course, of course. Man. Ocean's 12. Cool. And they had uh, Eddie Azard make the fake one, right? The hologram. Mm-hmm. Next one. <laughs> I don't think I remember anything about <laughs> that movie. No. Yeah. It, was, it was probably not the best out of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. All right, next one. The Long Lost Fortune of One-Eyed Willie. Sounds so familiar. If you think about what kind of job occupation someone called One-Eyed Willie would have, because this person has obviously one eye. <laughs> no hints. I'm going to get one right. Okay. Chris is ready. Chris says, The Goonies. Oh, Dana okay. says, Pirates of the Caribbean. And Colin says, Jaws 9. <laughs> it is The Goonies. Yes, that's right. Wait, what is the occupation? I was like... Pirate? That's why I put Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> 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 it was hint-like. <laughs> so this next one is... A lot of movies have this as the, the thing they're looking for, oh. as the treasure. So I'm going to specify it. Mm-hmm. The treasure is 
the Holy Grail mm-hmm. that is made out of wood. Oh, okay. Okay. Obviously, if I just said Holy Grail, it could be a lot of a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Answers up. Sure. Chris says Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Dana says Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And Colin says Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You guys are all correct. Wow. Bonus question. Oh. What are the three puzzles or traps Indiana Jones had to solve before <sighs> successfully getting to the room where the Grail is? There's you don't have to write it down. You guys can uh, there's that talk path about. thing, the so, stone tile thing. The name of God, right? Which uh, is Jehovah with yep. an I, not with a J. Yes, there's, he has to uh, spell only, out. He has to spell out Jehovah. Only the penitent man will pass, right. which is where he has to kneal. That was like my favorite. That was a great yeah. sequence. Yeah. That was, was a, oh man. Yeah. That was so good. Well, we all love puzzles. And- yeah. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very self-selected. Yeah. All right. Next one. The baseball diamond from the Mallory Gallery. Baseball <laughs> diamond from the Mallory, which is a gallery. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Answer's up. Uh, Chris says, the great Muppet caper. Oh. <laughs> job. Colin says, the great Muppet caper. It is the great Muppet yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. I love that it backfired. <laughs> no, I was laughing because I was like, I don't know what this is from. But uh, it sounds so familiar. And then it I was sounded... like, it's the Italian job because there's nothing Italian. No, it's two puns. It's you know, Or it's gallery. a rhyme and the, the baseball mm. diamond, which is funny. Oh, That's what yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get, get that. I didn't baseball, get that. Diamond. baseball diamond from I really just remember Kermit the Frog scaling a building, like walking up the side of a building with a rope, and Miss Piggy wearing like a trench coat. And like, that's all I remember from that movie. That was a good movie. And the name, maybe. Yeah. Right. All right, last one, and this is a, a more recent movie A Ferrari made of solid gold. <laughs> did it work? Okay. It did, it did not, you cannot drive it. <laughs> a Ferrari made of solid gold. All right, answers up. Chris says the Italian job. Dana says the Italian job. Colin says Harold and Kumar 3. <laughs> it oh. is Tower Heist. Oh. I did not see oh. that. Starring Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy. Actually, oh. a very good heist movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very good heist movie. That one kind of came and went pretty quickly. Because yeah. there, there was some bad press with the director right, at that time. Right, right. Um, okay. All right, good job, you guys. That was my hidden treasure movie quiz. Ooh. So, as mentioned, I was present at the digging up of what you might consider to be a time capsule. Um, (laughs) Certainly, it functioned as a time capsule. So, let me set the stage for you. All the way back to 1983 with a slow jam. Atari, the Atari video computer system, or the Atari 2600, the first, you know, majorly successful video game machine, had come out in the 70s and was doing really, really well up until the early 80s, um, at which point Atari started to do badly. And in 1983, they had never experienced, I don't think, stores returning product to them in any sort of major capacity of stores saying, oh, yeah, we can't sell this, or, oh, customers returned this, and they don't want this game, and the store is sending it back. They had no formalized (laughs) process for taking care of a lot of this stuff. So in one of their warehouses in El Paso, Texas, returned product started to pile up, or product Uh. that they otherwise were not shipping out to stores and stuff that had come back and had price tags on it, and it started to pile up and pile up and pile up, and eventually... They did not want it there anymore. So the guy who was in charge of the warehouse, they told him, get rid of this stuff. 
They weren't going to liquidate it. They were going to sell it to anybody. They were pretty much just like, let's just throw it all away. Pallets and pallets and pallets full of basically working brand new video game software. They were just going to throw it out because they're kind of (laughs) crazy. The warehouse manager, who I met when I was on the Satari digs, name is Jim Heller. They actually flew him out there to be present for this. Uh, the first thing he did was he's like, okay, we'll put it in the landfill here in El Paso. We'll throw it out in the, in the garbage dump. And they're like, okay. They put a bunch of games in the garbage dump. And apparently what happened was they were just like immediately beset upon by scavengers or by people who were going to the dump to find mm. stuff that they could resell. Mm. Um, okay. Perfectly good items. And these were the Atari games that were still in stores at this point <laughs> for like $30, $40. They're just in the garbage. Yeah. Piles of them in yeah. beautiful mint condition in the garbage. So, of course, people are taking them. What they ended up working out, because they didn't want these getting looted, was that they would truck these games north of El Paso, Texas, 90 miles north to the sleepy hamlet of Alamogordo, New Mexico. (laughs) They would bury them in Alamogordo, New Mexico, would have essentially security guards until the games were well and buried in the (laughs) earth, basically, so that nobody could loot them. And we now kind of have these these numbers now because the film crew that's been making the documentary about the Atari excavation, and that's what I went to New Mexico for, they've kind of interviewed a lot of people, and so we now know it was about a three-quarter of a million games. Wow. Uh, 12-ish trucks, big trucks, you know, hauling all these 90 miles north to New Mexico. And the way that they disposed of trash in the 80s was they dug a hole, they put the trash in, and then then they covered it with dirt, and then they moved on, and they would dig in next the next uh-huh. hole for the. And they don't do this anymore, you know. There's very, you know, there's more sophisticated procedures, but they would just <laughs> dump everything in there. Uh-huh. So that's what they did. They dug a hole in the earth. They put Atari games in there, and uh, they put the rest of the day's trash, you know, kind of all on top of them uh, <laughs> until the trench it's like was a seven full. Seven layer dip, <laughs> and uh, and that was the last anybody really thought about it. There had been there were stories in the Alamogordo paper. But the controversy was, Atari, why are you sending your trash from Texas to us in New Mexico? We don't uh... want your trash. Atari had worked out a deal that, you know, allowed him to do that. And that was September 26th or thereabouts, 1983. And again, at that point, everybody sort of forgot about it. What happened was the story became this urban legend, and it became conflated, and nobody was really sure how conflated, with the video game E.T., Atari's version of E.T. E.T. was like Atari's second kind of big flop of a game. They had done Pac-Man for the 2600, and they believed that so many people would buy Pac-Man that... They actually made more copies of Pac-Man than there were Atari systems in people's (laughs) homes. And in fact, they they made more because they felt that people would go and buy an Atari just to have Pac-Man. Crazy. So they had tons left over. E.T., they did somewhere along the line the same thing. They vastly over-manufactured and they had a lot coming back. And so the urban legend of this burial was that like Atari's hubris, you know, in, in making so many products people didn't want, they had to bury all these unsold copies of the game secretly in the dead that's of night. That's what I heard. That's what I had shame. Heard. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. But the mundane reality of it, as we kind of now know, is that it was just... I mean, there were ETs in there, but there were a lot more copies of the game Defender, which was considered like a good game that, you know, wasn't considered a huge flop, right? There were Space Invaders. You know, there was a lot of different mm. stuff in there. It wasn't just piles and yeah. piles and piles of ET and nothing else. It wasn't just piles of ET. Um, it was just all of the games that had been returned 
burned or for whatever reason were sitting in their warehouse <laughs> um, that they had to throw them away. It's more just an indictment of Atari's ability to manage their stock. Yeah, like, basically. Like, <laughs> or predict, yeah. forecast the, the demand. Forecast or like figure out how to liquidate it or do something mm-hmm. constructive with it instead of burying it in the ground. Right. You know. Now, people for a long time, having heard this story, had always sort of entertained notions of, oh, I'll go to the desert and dig them up. But you don't you know, don't where, know where they are. Yeah. You can't. And the thing is, you couldn't have done it on your own because mm-hmm. they dug the trench more than 20 feet deep. These games were actually at the 20 foot mark under 20 feet of garbage, garbage mm-hmm. and dirt. They needed it. They had a whole caterpillar backhoe excavator, oh, you know, to geez. dig down. Because we were there the day before the big reveal, the big moment, you know, where they sort of brought in all the media and all the pictures you see here from day two. Day one was digging down to get 19 and a half feet down. So they were oh, almost yeah. there the and then they could work. do the rest. Mm. So we were there for that. And it was just lines of dump trucks. Because the funny thing is the place where they're buried yeah. isn't an active landfill anymore. So it's not you can't dump garbage there anymore. Which means that once they pull the garbage up out of the ground, <laughs> they have to put it somewhere else. And they have to Take put it, it in an actual in a landfill. It has to be disposed so the dump truck of is properly. For all the other garbage. Yep. So basically, they were taking the garbage out of the ground, putting it into dump trucks. And those dump trucks drove to another landfill twenty six miles away and, <laughs> uh... and dumped the garbage there. But it required tons of trips by this whole line of trucks to get all the stuff out of the ground and just have. A hole. Like, how big a hole are we talking about? Like, it seemed like the diameter of this thing was like. 15 to 20 feet. Okay. Yeah. That's a good size. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Big <laughs> hole. So when we came in on day two, first of all, there just so happened to be like really high winds on day two. And the first place that they kind of like had everybody standing was directly downwind of the freshly excavated <laughs> pile of trash. So they quickly moved us away from there. But like I was just covered in a thin film of red sand, grit, oh. dirt. Um, a lot of us had, we had safety glasses. Yes. We went to the local Walmart and bought bandanas to just keep it from going into our nose and mouth. So we, looked like, we looked like safari bank robbers, basically. Yeah. We had like a random collection of hats and bandanas that we'd assembled from the local Walmart. Like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I bet. They did dig up all these games. Yeah. And then what? So they, and I want to really say, everything, even the layer of garbage was like remarkably well preserved <laughs> and the the guys working at the dump you know who are actually running the actual dig were just like yeah there's there's no oxygen there's no moisture nothing With no sunlight nothing yeah. degraded so some of the games that the cardboard boxes had kind of come unglued and everything but like i mean you wouldn't want to take any of these things home it's garbage from a dump but like you know it's, it, <laughs> by, gonna, by garbage standards yeah. it's in pretty good condition i was gonna yeah. ask you if you got any games no so they are all the property of the city of alamogordo new mexico okay. um maybe they might Auction. Give me one, sell them. I don't really know what they're going to do, but it's all city property. And so it is theirs to do what they want with all of the prep work that had to be done first by the guys who actually, you know, did the project. Like they had to figure out where it was, but they actually, the guy who ran it was there when they were burying them. And, and, and they had photographs and stuff. So they were actually able to look at photographs and be like, Oh, well there's that building. Here's the hole in the picture. So it's over here. No. And they did core samples. They would oh, take like oh, a wow. copper or cork sort of thing and drop it, you know, down and pull up a whole core sample. And if they found newspapers that uh, were around that date, they were like, oh, we're wow. in, you know, we're getting in the right area. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm so I'm just so tickled that there's a resolution to this. As you say, it had taken on yeah. a legendary a legend. status. Yeah. Not only that there's a resolution, but that you were there first person and got to see this. That stuff. was that was the really amazing part. After hearing about this for like two decades, it was it was amazing to actually get to go out and like be part of it all. And the guys from Atari were there, and the designer of ET was there, and it was totally crazy. As I keep saying, it was the most fun I ever had spending two days in the landfill. Um, <laughs> and we we the second best time I ever had in my life. <laughs> um, and so if, if you go on Wired, like I wrote a whole journal all of the everything that happened and there's videos and photos so you can read more. On Wired.com. Wired.com. Cool. cool. Alright, let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Good Job Brain, and this week we're talking about buried treasure. Buried treasure. Buried treasure. Buried treasure. And pirates. Pirates. Pirates and buried treasure yeah. go together like peanut butter Peas and, and yeah. buried jelly. Like a hook hand <laughs> and a <laughs> crocodile. I don't know. So tell me. I have a question for you guys. <laughs> Answer me this. <laughs> Was this a real phenomenon? Did, no. did did pirates actually bury treasure? What do you guys think? Yes or no? They went to go find yeah. treasure. But like, but you know, the did. whole legend of of the map they and buried the... their treasure chest. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to say retrieval. I'm going to say no, they never actually did that. They probably took their money and spent it. I think yes. I think oh. I think some did because they don't want other people to yeah. find where they amassed their. They're on a ship coins. with a bunch of thieves. Yeah. Like, don't you need to hide your stuff? So yeah. most most historical experts agree that the notion of pirates burying treasure to come back for later is almost exclusively fictional. Oh. Almost. We owe so much of our modern pirate lore and the, the tropes to two stories from the 1800s. Probably the most famous of all the pirate stories, Treasure, Treasure Island. Island. Right, yeah, by Robert Louis Stevenson. So that was in uh, 1883. Like, that one book is responsible for so many, like, the parrot on the shoulder and the peg leg and just on Trumps. and on. The type of ships that they used. And most importantly, the pirate map with the big X marks the spot to the treasure <laughs> chest. Yeah. Uh, before that, there were a couple of other famous stories that sort of helped build up this image. And uh, Stevenson himself actually said that he was directly inspired by a lot of the details from a short story uh, from 50 years prior called Wolfbert Weber. 
which was written by Washington Irving oh. of hmm. Rip Van Winkle and Legend of Sleepy Hollow fame. Edgar Allan Poe also wrote a very famous story called The Gold Bug. Has a lot of the same sort of details revolving around buried treasure and trying to find, you know, this hidden hidden stash. So where did Irving and Poe, where did these where did they get their inspiration? Like was this entirely made up and fictional? And it seems to be that the inspiration for the buried treasure can be traced back to the very real very uh, once alive Captain Kidd. Captain William Kidd. Who was, was he a pirate? Well, that's a good question. He was active in, in the late 1600s mainly. And it depends on who you ask, Karen. It okay. depends on your point of view whether he was a pirate or simply a privateer. Oh. And in case you guys don't know... I don't uh, know what the difference is. Yeah, so a privateer basically was, was like a mercenary. It was someone who had a crew and a ship and either you know directly or tacitly was operating under the authority of, of a government. Government-sanctioned pirate. Yeah. 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 It really was it was like government sanctioned piracy eventually he fell on the wrong side of the law and got into some trouble with the authorities and he learned that there was a warrant out for his arrest for piracy and also for murder so (laughs) he uh word got out he found out that like oh if i come back i'm gonna be under arrest for piracy and this is (laughs) no good so he went and stashed some treasure on uh, Gardner's Island, which is a tiny little island off the east end of Long Island in New York. Whoa! Um, he was actually a fairly important figure in the early days of New York and the colonial era. So he stashed it there thinking, if I ever get in trouble, mm. I can kind of use this as trade or, you know, yeah, maybe when he's in a jam, negotiate my way out of trouble, right? Which is a pretty good idea. Unfortunately for him, he was basically sold out by one of his former associates, who was the, the governor of uh, the New York area at the time. He was arrested, held in prison, prison, eventually put on trial. And what the governor did was he went and had kids' treasure dug up, basically, and sent to England as evidence to be used in the trial against him. Eventually sent back to England, stood trial before Parliament. Uh, It was a spectacle. Uh, I mean, this was just right around the turn of the century there. It was a big, big deal to have Captain Kidd on trial. He was found guilty. He was convicted. He was executed. Oh, no. They hung his body over the Thames for three years as a warning, as Mm -hmm. a warning Mm -hmm. to any uh, potential future pirates. Hmm. Oh, they tarred it, didn't they? They Yeah, they they tarred tarred his body. So it's like seagulls came in, you know. Right, right. It was tarred and tied up in ropes and dangled out over the water. Gruesome punishment. Yeah, this was in 1701. But so this whole affair really contributed to his legend. It seems that... Uh, the writers of the next century really took a lot of inspiration from Captain Kidd and the buried treasure. So yeah, you can you can trace more or less a direct line from Captain Kidd all the way up through Jack Sparrow and today's uh, yeah. treasure hunting pirates. Yeah, it's funny that um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story about buried treasure. He also wrote a poem about El Dorado. I'm going to talk about the lost treasure of El Dorado. In Spanish, El Dorado means the golden one or the gilded one. And it's not speaking about a city or it's not talking about a city. You might have heard about the city of gold or the city of El Dorado. It's a person. They're talking about a person as El Dorado. In the Andes Mountains in Colombia, there were an indigenous group of people. And when their chief uh, was ascending to that role, was taking up that role, they would coat him in gold dust. And then he'd row out to the middle of, of this beautiful lake, Lake Guadavita. And he would jump in the water, covered in gold dust, jump in the water. They'd also throw gold trinkets and, and gems into the water. And they would do that to kind of celebrate his ascension into being their chief. Mm. So when the Spaniards came to conquer 
those people to colonize those people. <laughs> they were like, very interesting. You throw gold into this lake. We would like to take the gold from the lake. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you guys doing with it? Yeah. Oh, nothing. Apparently nothing. Yeah, I know. I was trying to scoop the pennies out of the wishing well. Trying to, like, like... <laughs> so in... 1545, Lazaro, Fonte, and Hernan Perez de Quesada, they tried to drain the lake. They had like a bunch of probably indigenous slaves, you could probably call them slaves, using buckets. And oh my they, God, so manual. So, so manual. Yeah. Yeah. So after three months, they got three meters of the water down. They did, Whoa. they were able to find some gold. There was gold that washed up on the shores. You know, they, got, they were like, okay, fine, this is taking forever. We're not going <laughs> to do this anymore. And then in 1580, about 40 years later, this businessman, Antonio de Sepulveda, cut a notch in the in the lake trying to make the crater lake a little bigger so the water would go down oh. um and he was able to get it down by 20 meters but then wow. it collapsed and killed a bunch of people they also found more gold doing that <laughs> and they, so they decided to just keep going yeah, yeah sure and then um in 1898 some british explorers were like oh there's probably a ton of gold in there and so they they made a tunnel in the lake and tried to drain it all. And they were able to drain it all. It flooded some villages. Like people were just doing <laughs> again, like whatever. Again, it was the horrible. Damage. Sure. So they, they drained it. And then, um, there was a ton of mud. The mud dried in the sun and then became like concrete and they couldn't <laughs> oh, get they it. They couldn't get the stuff. Oh. Yeah. They found just like 500 pounds. Like, Pounds money, London money of gold. That's it. Oh After they did that, uh, so there's no more lake there. No, no, it came back. Oh, it okay, came back. okay. But um, the Colombian government was like, "You guys can't do this." Stop anyway. doing like, this. no, <laughs> <laughs> just leave it. <laughs> so many are dead. Yeah. yeah. But the legend of El Dorado really got around. It captured everybody's imagination. Like, there's so thought it was like a place or a city. Yeah. They're just throwing like gold into a lake. It must be like nothing. They must have a city of gold somewhere around here. <laughs> and so there were just a lot of assumptions that were made. Well, they're applying like their value system. They're like, well, we know gold is valuable, and they're doing all these frivolous things with it. Therefore, must, therefore, there must yeah, be a huge stash. stash. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing, it was valuable to them too. It was va- it was a spiritual value to them. But there was no city of gold. And El Dorado was a person, not a place. Which Whoa, misnomer. Yeah. The gilded one. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, I asked our listeners what other stuff they, cool stuff they found, if they ever found any hidden uh, or buried treasure. A lot of people on our Facebook page say that they're into geocaching, mm. which is kind of like a GPS scavenger hunt. Um, sometimes you find little trinkets and, and you're not out to find gold or anything. It's just little things that people plant and it's a whole kind of activity. And it made me think of scavenger hunts and puzzle hunts. And just last week... Two Good Job Brain listeners, Ryan and Colleen, invited me to join their scavenger hunt team in Disneyland. Awesome. And it, it's not an official Disneyland activity, but it is a, a very coveted or very celebrated um, scavenger hunt. Very, very difficult. It's called Mouse Adventure. And we did very, very well. We did not place, but we did very well. It was really fun. And 
in the spirit of kind of like scavenger hunts and geocaching, you know, I realized that a lot of these types of activities are kind of made possible by the internet mm, or by mm. advent of the internet. Like um, geocaching wouldn't be a thing if it weren't for a publicly available GPS. Right. Right. Yeah. And also a lot of the scavenger hunts now, puzzle hunts, you read about them from the internet. You have a whole online community dedicated to puzzle solving. But what about pre-internet? The first documented American uh, big sensation scavenger hunt was in the 1930s in New York City. Oh, a that's lot a, that's of later than I would have guessed. Yeah, but this was like a, written about it. There were movies made about it. Like huh. it was just a big kind of upper crust activity or a fun thing okay. that a lot of the, the the rich New Yorkers played. So I want to tell you guys a story, and this is kind of at the cross section of all these things I'm interested in in the puzzle aspect, in the pre kind of internet pre technology aspect. Uh, the puzzles and, and all of these things kind of coming together. And I want to introduce you to a guy called Max Valentine or Max Valentin. He's French. Oh, yeah. It is a pseudonym. I was going to say it's a cool name. Yeah, it's a like, name. Okay. So this guy, Max, in 1978, his boss asked him to organize like a treasure hunt for some of the clients, like a fun activity or an icebreaker. However, his boss did not use the clues he made. Like he did write a whole game, but they, Typical. they ended up not using it. But then he thought, you know what, I'm onto something. So during 1978, he spent like 400, 500 hours writing, perfecting these puzzles. There are 11 puzzles or enigmas, 11 puzzles that he spent all this time. And for 10 years, it just kind of sat in his house until 1992, where he met an artist, Michelle Becker. And so they had this plan. What they're going to do is they're going to publish his puzzles into a book and they're actually going to have a real life treasure. Hmm. They're going to bury it somewhere and all of these clues will lead to the location of this. Hmm. So this was known as the golden owl. So Michelle Becker, his friend, Max's friend, sculpted an owl. He actually had two owls. He had one owl that was for the for the digging, and one is the actual prize, uh, which is is golden and you redeem it for the actual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of tacky. It has like a lot of gemstones, vulgar, okay. a little bit too much. <laughs> so 1993, they went out to the French countryside and dug a hole and <laughs> and, and and buried this owl. And then two days later, the book was published and available for everybody. And of course, this captured the whole nation. Oh, Because oh, yeah. they're like, oh my God, solving these, just these 11 puzzles and I can find this golden owl. That's, <laughs> that's worth a lot of money. Like the golden okay. owl okay. is worth 1 million French francs. So it became a bestseller. The book, people mm. bought the book. Max and Michelle Becker did make some money by selling the books and people really enjoyed it and then people really got obsessed and kind of crazy about it <laughs> so this just kind of consumed max's life this one guy he wrote letters to max and was like i know it's in the cemetery so i started digging up every french cemetery oh, oh, and yeah. so like max valentine's like you know i'm not going to give you clues but i'm going to tell you it's not in a cemetery so please stop <laughs> ruining and digging cemeteries along the french countryside right. one morning there was a call from the police and this dude firebombed a church like a little chapel saying i know the owl is underneath the chapel 
and so like bombed the place. Oh my god! And so this is getting really out of hand. He's getting death threats. People are like, they're not even looking for the owl anymore. They're kind of looking for him. Wow! They're trying to get him to tell him where the owl is. Did anybody find the owl? So here's the thing: no one has found the owl yet. Whoa! No one has found the owl. It was what buried in 1993. No one has found it yet. Wow! Max, I, his game design skills are suspect. At this so, point. so <laughs> they were kind of worried. They thought that the the owl was gonna be uncovered in like two days. Max Valentine died in 2009. Oh, still somewhere. Is there a record? Like, does does any is there any one person who knows exactly where it is now that he's died? A couple of people do. Okay. And a lot of people are like, oh no, what if his death is a hoax? Uh, there's just like a really weird kind of a shroud of mystery around all of this. And and this is pre-internet, you know. And now that we're we're kind of in the internet age, yeah. there is actually a website that's not. Built of course, well. of um, course. Well, if we have any uh, French listeners who have gone on a Golden Owl expedition, yeah. let yeah. us know. So we'll finish this out with a tale of digging and not finding. Um, when uh, when I was going out to the ET dig, a lot of people kept making this reference of like, "Oh, this is going to be the Al Capone's vault of uh-huh. video games." Uh-huh. The reference for some of you kids who may be too young and did not hear about this was know. that so in 1986, uh, talk show host, uh, television personality Geraldo Rivera, with much hype and pomp and circumstance, uh, had a live television special in which he. Was was going to excavate, he was going to open, uh, after um, apparently many long years, a secret storage area of Al Capone, the, the famous mobster uh, that was below a hotel in Chicago. Whoa, and so there was, I remember those. Yes. So there was there might be money, there might be dead bodies of his <laughs> yeah. enemies. Just, who knows? Just breathless speculation of what and could it be was, in there. And it was all going to be aired live on television. Luckily, you know, the E.T. dig did not end the same way the Al Capone's vault dig ended, which was that they found absolutely nothing live (laughs) on television. So this is what happened with Al Capone's vault. In the late 20s, early 30s, Al Capone used the Lexington Hotel in Chicago as his primary base of operations. I think he started off by renting out two floors. I think he had his own, he may have had his own floor, customized a lot of stuff for himself. And then after his downfall, it was discovered that he had really done quite a bit to this hotel. They had, in fact, built networks of hidden staircases in the hotel so that they could get in and out uh, without anybody seeing Ah. them without using the front door there was a hidden staircase behind his medicine cabinet but there were were all over the hotel so him and his gang that's great that's great go down the staircases into the basement into the network of hidden underground tunnels that were underneath the hotel and then use those to get to brothels and bars and other hotels there was even apparently there was a shooting range in the (laughs) hotel that they had secretly built in there for for target practice. I love it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So in 1985, the hotel at that point had been abandoned and it had been declared a Chicago landmark and it had been purchased by basically a non-profit organization that was going to convert it into apartment buildings. Uh, And at that point, a lot of like urban explorers had like, you know, gone through the tunnels and stuff and they had found that there was this area, this vault that, that seemed to have been deliberately closed off. Al Capone was, was, uh, arrested 
They got him on tax evasion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got him on yeah. famously yeah. not paying his income taxes. And he was put away for the longest that anybody had ever been put away <laughs> for not paying their taxes. You know, at that point, they, they figured maybe his stuff was down here. Apparently, he had had another place in Lima, Ohio, and they had found $50,000 there. Pretty substantial at the time. Yeah. So they were like, oh, maybe he did stash a bunch of his money. So the new owner was a nonprofit organization as I said, it did not, could not use the essentially the public funds that it was getting to like do this excavation project. So they they looked for partners and they ended up getting in touch with Geraldo Rivera. Um, (laughs) He worked with them and a TV production company to put together a documentary that would sort of culminate in this primetime live syndicated network TV special called The Mystery of Al Capone's Vaults, a total of two hours of scintillating (laughs) television aired. Once on April 21st, 1986, there was tremendous hype. Oh my it, God. It was, it, it I was, was six years old. I don't remember this happening. I mean, I was a little bit, I would have been, it was, I would have been, I guess, 12. Nine, 10, yeah. yeah and it was, it was Al Capone's vault. What's in there? It should be like, like you would have thought that it was going to be like barrels of whiskey and piles of gold coins and like and dead, women dead and bodies. dead bodies. And yeah, I mean, cars. Yeah. yeah it was just, what's going to be in there? What's going to be in there? Join me live and we'll find out. It was the most watched live TV special. I think in history. Oh, really? Wow. Um, it had higher. It had higher ratings. Like as a percentage of homes owning televisions, it it did higher ratings than the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. Wow. It did. It did better mm-hmm. than Who Shot Jr. Like it was like the, it was wow. the biggest biggest Bowl? thing. So I think the 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 most recent Super Bowl was the most watched uh, television event ever as far as like total number of viewers. I think this may still have the record for like a syndicated special mm. you know it, versus it. Sports, uh, right. right right probably a lot of people were watching because they were hoping that dead bodies would come spilling out <laughs> on my you know they had a medical examiner on hand in fact they also had the irs on hand because as soon as they announced they were going to do this the irs was like hey bt dubs he owes us eight hundred thousand dollars with yeah. interest um, so the first $800,000 that you find is the, is, is the IRS nice. and they were there nice. to take it. Wow. Yeah. They blast through a concrete wall and they find a bunch of dirt and another wall and they blast through another wall and they find dirt and they blast through another wall and they find dirt. And, and basically all that they had found were a couple of prohibition era glass bottles. It was this colossal embarrassment for Geraldo on live television. But at the same time, it also launched his career. I mean, yeah. he was in front of 30 million people as Homer Simpson famously sang in the baby on board episode of the Simpsons. There was nothing in Al Capone's vault, but it wasn't Geraldo's fault. <laughs> um, and I mean, he got his talk show right after that and, and vaulted to national fame. So, vaulted. I mean, it all, it worked. Oh yeah. Vaulted. Well, the good news is they say. didn't plan stuff in there right live tv this is what happens sometimes there's nothing right all right and well that is our show thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening in hope you learn a lot of stuff about buried treasure about pirates about et el dorado and you can find us on itunes on stitcher on soundcloud and on our website goodjobbrain.com and thanks to our sponsor squarespace and we'll see you guys next week Bye. bye Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. 
Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.